Heavenly Father, what a great privilege it is to be with you in your presence today, knowing that we are your children. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. We are so grateful that you have adopted us as your children through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know that we have not deserved this great mercy. But you have done it out, out of your love and your great mercy for us. And now, Father, as we turn to your word, would you please open our ears and open our hearts that we may understand well what you wish to tell us this afternoon. And would you bless my words, Father, that they may bring you glory and joy and honor. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our sermon text comes from the book of Romans, chapter 6, and verses 6 to 13. Romans 6, verses 6 to 13. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome, the church at his time. And he writes, we know that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Let, no, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. This is the word of God. And you may be seated. Nicodemus, the man we heard of in the scripture lesson, was, as John says, a ruler of the Jews, and in fact, a formidable ruler of the Jews. He was one of the uh, members of the high council of the Jews, so... He was the elite of the elite, very well taught in all things of uh, the Jewish religion. And, uh, and this man came to Jesus to inquire Jesus about his ministry. And so Jesus explained to him that the kingdom of God is a matter of life and death. You have to be born again, Jesus said, otherwise you cannot see and you cannot know the kingdom of God. Your eyes are blind to it. You cannot perceive where it is and what it is, and therefore you cannot answer it. Now, Nicodemus was wondering about the meaning of these strange words, you have to be born again, and Jesus affirmed, 
unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, what is the kingdom of God? It is where God is king and reigns over his people. The kingdom of God is where men and women serve the holy God, worshiping him sincerely and living lives that please him. The kingdom of God is where men and women have peace with God and submit to his will. The kingdom of God is where men and women enjoy the blessings of God and enjoy fellowship with one another. And now Jesus says, you cannot recognize the kingdom of God, nor can you enter into it unless you are born again by water and spirit. So if you're not born again by water and spirit, you may pass by the kingdom of God without even seeing it, even if it is very near to you. And isn't that what we experience day to day? People are walking on the street, Feldstrasse, they walk by this church. We believe that this church is part of the kingdom of God, and they laugh about it. They don't recognize it. And if you're not born by water and spirit, Jesus says, even if you seek the kingdom of God and try very hard to find it, you will fail to discover it. So what does it mean to be born again by water and spirit? Jesus is here referring to a passage in the book of the prophet Ezekiel. And since Nicodemus was one of the leaders of the Jew, and since he was a very educated man in the word of God, we can safely assume that Nicodemus immediately understood what Jesus was talking about. It's like when I quote the Bible and David says, oh yeah, that's uh, in this and this book, because he studied it, right? Did you? <laughs> and so in the book of Ezekiel, God speaks to his people, and he announces how he would bring about a complete change of heart, mind, and soul in them. The people of Israel had long forsaken their God. They had gone after idols of all kinds. They had given into violence and greed and adultery and false religion. And these people would be enabled to return to their Lord and his ways. The people who had become dead in their sins, unable to enter into a relationship with the living God, these people would be made spiritually alive again. And so listen to what the Lord says to his people in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 28. He says, I will pour out clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. 
you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Now, the Hebrew word, the Old Testament, as you know, was written in the Hebrew language. The Hebrew word for sin is dirt or filth or uncleanness. And the word for, for, for the forgiveness of sins is to clean or to wash away sins. The Jews every year celebrate the great day of forgiveness, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur means cleaning day, washing day. The sinner is filthy in the eyes of the Lord, and he must be cleansed in order to come into the presence of God. And that God pours out water in abundance over his people is an image of thorough cleansing, washing away the dirt of sin with an abundance of water so that the sinner becomes completely clean. His past sins are completely forgiven. It is as if you put some old clothes into the washer and after two hours they come out and you say, mm, they smell good again. Now they're really clean. That's what God is saying here. John the Baptist took up this image in his baptism of repentance, which was throwing buckets of water over the head of a person, showing that that person was being cleansed of the dirt of sin. And so what Jesus says here is that a man must be thoroughly cleansed of his past sins in order to be able to see the kingdom of God and to enter into it. This cleansing must be so complete and so effective that he's like a new man afterwards, and only God can clean a person so thoroughly. In the Old Testament, the heart is the place of human thinking and human feelings. Our rebellion against God, our sin against God, has made our hearts as hard as stone, the Bible says. And it means that our thinking has become cold, unmovable, unresponsive to anything that comes from the Lord. Sin has killed our compassion for the people around us, and it has stifled our love of God, our desire to live with him, our sense of being guilty before him. This is what the Apostle Paul describes as being dead in our sins. When he tells the Ephesians, you were dead in your sins. You had hearts of stone. You were cold, unmovable unable to respond to anything that comes from God. In order to enter into a relationship with God, God must first remove the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. You know, flesh is warm, soft, movable, flexible. A heart of flesh makes our thinking and feeling responsive to the things of God and revives our compassion for the people around us. 
removing the heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh, God completely renews our thinking and feeling as though we are completely new beings. A man's spirit in the Bible is what makes a man move and drive him, drives him forward. The Hebrew word for spirit is wind. Hence, Jesus' reference to the wind blowing in John 3, verse 8. The Bible tells us that when God created man, Adam and Eve, he gave them a spirit that drove them towards their creator. But sin has corrupted the spirit of man. The sinner spirit drives him away from God. The sinner spirit drives him towards idols, false god, like material wealth, money, and nature. The sinner spirit moves him to commit all sorts of bad and evil things that are an abomination to the Lord. The things that the Apostle Paul enumerates in 1 Corinthians 5, lying, cheating, stealing, coveting, sexual immorality, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, bad-mouthing others, extortion, drug abuse, with absolutely no sense of remorse. Man has lost his sense of orientation and is driven towards his own destruction. But putting his spirit into a sinner, God gives him a new sense of orientation. The new spirit drives the man towards God and makes him live according to the word of God. The new spirit drives him away from the evil that God hates and towards the good things God loves. Covered with the stinking filth of his sin, with a heart of stone and driven by a corrupted spirit, a man is dead to God. He is unable to perceive the things of God. He is unable to do other than evil. Continuously, he does evil. And this is what the Apostle Paul means when he says that such a man is a slave to sin, enslaved by sin. Now, at the time of the Apostle, a slave was a man without a will of his own. A slave did what his owner told him to do, nothing more and nothing less. The Romans spoke of slaves as walking tools. You, you use them, but they don't have a will of their own. A slave to sin does what sin commands him to do, no more and no less. And such is man in his natural state of being born in sin, as the Bible calls us to be. We are born in sin, helpless, hopeless, rushing to our own destruction, unable to help ourselves, in desperate need of a Savior that brings us back to life with our Creator. And only the Creator Himself can save us by purging us of our sins, by giving us hearts of flesh, and by putting a new spirit into us. And such, such a man 
a man that God has purged of his sins, a man that God has given a heart of flesh and put his spirit into him, such a man is like a completely new creation. His change from filthy to clean, his change in thinking and feeling, his change in spirit are so radical and so complete that Jesus calls him a newborn man. And the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 calls him a new creation. And in Ephesians, Paul says, that man is, has put off the old man, which grows corrupt, the sinner, and put on the new man, which was created according to God and righteousness and true holiness. And what Paul is saying is here, here is as radical as thinking that you take a knife and you peel off your old skin and you put on a new skin. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. Such a man is no longer a slave to sin. Sin has lost its merciless, ruthless grip on him. And in that sense, he is dead to sin. Being able to perceive the things of God, he can now enter into a relationship with his creator. As the Apostle Paul puts it, he is alive to God. He can perceive the things of God. He can live a life with God. Now, you all know that a man, nor a woman, can give birth to himself. Anybody in this room who has given birth to himself, raise your hand. No, it's impossible, right? And in the same way, a man, nor a woman, cannot change himself so radically, so completely, that we can say he is born again. He is a new creation. God must do it for him. Unless God does it, no man can see nor enter into the kingdom of God. But if God does it for him, the man is drawn to God by the new spirit. He is able to perceive spiritual things. And when God shows him his son, Jesus Christ, as his savior, that newborn man is able to respond by running to Jesus and throwing himself into his arms and crying out, Jesus, save me, for I am lost. Only a newborn man can do that. He's able to believe in Jesus as his Lord and begin to follow after him. He is able to see that the church is the manifestation of the kingdom of God in this world. He is able to come to church to worship God to love his brothers and sisters, and to do good. He is a new creation, a man who has been regenerated, as the Apostle Paul puts it in Titus 3. Regenerated doesn't mean improved. It means completely newly created. It's not like when you have your tires on your car improved for the winter. It's when you throw them away and you put on new tires, completely new. And therefore, we speak of being born again or of regeneration. The new birth, the regeneration is an act of mercy 
off guard on a sinner who was doomed for destruction and is now alive to God. Now, this act of mercy stands at the beginning of God's work of salvation in a man. To speak of a born-again Christian is really a su superfluous thing to say. We call it a pleonasm, a redundancy. It's like saying, I see with my eyes. Well, of course, with your eyes, you can't see with your foot. So you, it's enough to say, I see. You don't have to say, I see with my eyes. And it's the same here. Born-again Christians, if you say that, it suggests that there are Christians who are not born again, but that's impossible. You cannot believe in Jesus if you're not born again. And so either you're a Christian and born again, or you're not born again and not a Christian. If you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are born again. And it means God has purged you from the dirt of your sins of the past. God has replaced your old heart of stone by a heart of flesh. God has put his Holy Spirit into you. God has enabled you to see Jesus as your Savior. God's Spirit in you has driven you to rush to Jesus and believe in him. All that has been God's mercy on you. And so thank him for it and praise him. The image of a new birth that Jesus uses emphasizes that all this stands at the starting point of your new life in which you walk the walk of faith after Jesus. Birth is the beginning of life. New birth is the be beginning of new life with Jesus. Following him, you then grow in your faith and your relationship with him. As a baby gradually grows and learns to walk and then to speak and matures and learns to cope with the many challenges of life, so you gradually grow in your faith. You gradually grow in your relationship to Christ. You mature, you learn to cope with the many challenges of a life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And as it takes many years for a baby to become an adult, so it takes many years for a new believer to become mature, a mature brother or sister. The Bible calls on you to grow in your faith. The Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 6 verse 1, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. The Bible calls on us as a church to grow in the unity of faith, Ephesians 4, and to help one another in the process of spiritual growth. Now, all of this we've asked to do to the children today. When we dedicate children to the Lord, we're asking the Lord, would you please, at the time that you, Lord, see fit, completely recreate them. Have them newly born, 
take out their hearts of stone. And, you know, if you see a little baby, it's hard to believe that that's a heart of stone. But that's what the Bible tells us. From birth, that baby is unable to have a relationship to God. And so we ask the Lord, take out that heart of stone and give that baby, that child when he has grown, a heart of flesh and your spirit. Isn't that what we wish for all these children? Now a word of sobering at the end. A born-again born Christian is saved and is a child of God but he or she remains a sinner in this life. A born-again Christian is still tempted by sin, and although he's no longer a slave to sin, he will give in to temptation sometimes. The Apostle John makes that very clear. He writes in 1 John 3, verse 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin. And in 1 John 1, verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Well, now you read that and you call up the Apostle John and you say, now, John, what's going on here? Tell us, please. That's a plain contradiction. You just said that a, a believer does not sin. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. And then you say, but if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Isn't that a contradiction? And the answer is no. But in order to understand, you have to go to the Greek text, the Greek text, which is the language in which the New Testament was originally written. And then you look at the Greek grammar and you see does not sin is in, written in the present tense, which in the Greek expresses something done continuously and habitually, always. And so what John is saying is, whoever has been born of God does not sin continuously. Whoever has been born of God is no longer a slave to sin. But being a man and not being as perfectly sinless as our Savior, Jesus Christ, every believer still sins occasionally, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly. And therefore, the Apostle John consoles us, saying, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The God who has regenerated us and has given us faith in Jesus Christ does not give up on us when we sin again. But John also warns us, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. And so again, you go to the Greek and have not sinned is in the perfect tense, which describes something that has happened once in the past. And so here we see the sense that John wants to bring out. We are no longer slaves to sin. We do not sin continuously 
habitually if we're born again. And yet, we're not as perfect as our Lord Jesus Christ. And would you want to call your Savior a liar? The Apostle Paul emphasizes the same point. On the one hand, in this text, he commands Christians not to present their members as instruments to sin. Now, that would be completely meaningless if believers are done with sin. But instead, Paul says, Christians are to present themselves as instruments of righteousness, as willing to serve the Lord and doing good. And on the other hand, listen to what the Apostle Paul says about himself in Romans 7. He says, I do not understand my own actions. I don't understand my own actions for I do not do what I want to do, but I do the very thing that I hate. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I don't want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is not I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, you think the Apostle Paul was a believer? You think the Apostle Paul was born again? Of course he was. If there was ever a believer, it was the Apostle Paul. And yet, Paul realized that there was sin in his life, even though he was no longer a slave to sin. And so if you are born again, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, realize that you are not yet completely free from sin. In this life, you remain a sinner, a sinner saved by the mercy of God, a sinner made, saved from destruction, yet far from the perfection of our Lord. And people, sobering as this is, it is necessary. If you think that you're done with sin, what you're really saying is you have no need of a Savior. You have no need of Jesus Christ. You have saved yourself. And that means you're diminishing the glory of Jesus Christ for your own glory. We all need to realize the sins of our lives and rush back to him who alone saves us. And if you think you're done with sin, you become self-righteous and you become lazy in the works of faith. Good works that God has put before us that we should do them. And so, therefore, be sober and judge yourself. True believers, until the end of their lives, will cry out, as the Apostle Paul did, Who will deliver me? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, and to him be all the glory. Amen. And so, let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for 
cleansing us from our sin. We thank you for giving us hearts of flesh and taking away the hearts of stone. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, which you have put into, into us, that drives us into your arms. And Lord, we confess today that even though we are still sinners, we are saved, but we are still in need of you, Lord. And so we come to you again and again, and we ask you, save us, Lord. Help us. Forgive us our sins. And we trust, Lord, that you have mercy on us, and that one day we will stand before you in your kingdom, and you will smile at us and let us enter. Amen. What should separate me from your love? What should separate me from your love?